Hello, Irish fans, and we are rolling. Welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. I am your host, Alex Painter. Welcome to episode 29, and thank you for your time today, regardless of where you are tuning in from. Whether this is the very first episode you've ever listened to, or if you're one of the old timers around here, well, welcome to all of you. If you are a fan of this show or you have a good sense of the flavor of Onward to Victory, then I think you're really going to like this episode. This episode, for the second time in show history, was a listener's choice episode. So a poll ran on the Facebook page and listeners voted. So thank you to all who participated. Now, if you haven't already, go back and listen to the last couple episodes, including the last episode about Deshaun Kaiser's 2015 debut effort against Virginia in the instant classic that proved to be as well as the previous episode, a commentary on the Fighting Irish as a team name and mascot. And finally, episode 26 was about an incredibly interesting 1924 event when the students of Notre Dame took to the streets, rolled up their sleeves, balled up their fists, and literally went fisticuffs with the Ku Klux Klan. Now, that one's proven to be immensely popular. I can't imagine why. But the episode has set all kinds of show records, including most listens in a debut day, uh, most listens in a debut week, and quickest episode to reach 100 listens. So go give it a listen. It is well worth your time. So in Irish news, I am super stoked about this. Notre Dame Football and Guinness, the Irish beer company, have inked a seven-year deal for Guinness to become the official beer of Notre Dame football. And if you haven't seen them yet, go check out the pictures of the packaging and the cans. They are awesome. So this is from the official press release from Guinness. Quote, Guinness is proud to announce it is now a partner and official beer of Notre Dame Fighting Irish alumni and fans, a group that numbers well over 40 million across the U.S. Our seven-year partnership will unite two Irish institutions and bring to life new traditions like raising a Guinness toast to honor the Irish faithful, whether you're Irish by blood or in spirit, end quote. So as if the deal couldn't get any better, Mr. Cool himself, Joe Montana, will be the official spokesperson of the partnership. So again, if you haven't seen the cans in the packaging yet, jump on Google. It's really easy to find, but I cannot wait to get my hands on some of these Guinnesses. All right, well, we're going to get the program underway in a literal minute, but I wanted to give a shout out to the Onward to Victory Consensus All-Americans. These are the show listeners who fund the show with their hard-earned money, which allows the show to stay ad-free, growing, and, frankly, on the air. These loyal sons, so to speak, are the true MVPs here, so thank you to Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, whose support of the show is absolutely unwavering. I simply cannot thank you enough. Next up is Brad Glazer of Williamsburg, Indiana, another another fervent supporter of the show who's one of the biggest Irish fans I know. Thank you, Brad. And finally, a pair of siblings in Adam and Colton Painter out of Fort Wayne, Indiana and Cleveland, Ohio, respectively. Let me just tell you, I can personally vouch for these two men. So thank you to all the Consensus All-Americans. And if you enjoy the show and you want to join the Consensus All-American team, I promise there's something in it for you. I will tell you how to at the end of the episode. So 
Someone once wrote the show and said after listening to all the episodes, he felt like he had an advanced degree in Notre Dame studies. And I think the show, and ergo Notre Dame, is special for this reason. If you're a Notre Dame fan, the history of the school and program probably plays a sizable role in that fandom. It is for this reason that there can be a literal podcast, such as this one, that dedicates probably 75-80% to of its energy and time digging into the storied past and legends. So the Irish kicked off practice this week, and as of the time of this episode is in production right now, we are a mere 25 days away from kickoff against Duke on September 12th. The schedule is now a full ACC slate, so notably missing our rival games against USC, Stanford, and for the first time since 1927, 93 years ago, the Irish will not meet the United States Naval Academy on the gridiron. 93 years. Safe to say there is not an Irish fan on the planet that can recall a time when these two elite academic institutions did not square off on the football field. So as many of you are undoubtedly aware, the game was originally scheduled to be played in Dublin, Ireland at Aviva Stadium to kick off the 2020 season, something that we talked about on this show for months, but we talked about in general for months. We were all extremely excited for this. These Ireland games are always so cool. But after the Dublin plans were canned uh, due to the pandemic, the game was officially moved to Annapolis, Maryland. But after Notre Dame joined the ACC for the fall, it all but spelled the demise of the historic matchup for 2020. Now, some folks begrudge the annual matchup with the Service Academy. And while I can see some of their argument, mostly about scheduling rigor, I believe, I would, of course, counter that with the fact that Notre Dame is only one of two FBS schools across the country, UCLA being the other, who have never played or are scheduled to play an FCS school. So again, those smaller Division I schools. So there is that, and that is important to note. And nothing against those who personally or individually argue against the Navy game every year, but I'll probably tell you to your face that you're being a bit grouchy over it. And why is that? Well, because this rivalry is deep, man, rooted in mutual respect and admiration. And this is Notre Dame, both as a football program and a school absolutely, honorably, continually paying back a debt that stretches back decades to the United States Naval Academy. And if rivalry is the core of college football, the very bottom foundational part of the college football pyramid, then Notre Dame and Navy must be pushed to the center of the table as, until this season, anyways, the third longest never-interrupted college football matchup in history. Before beginning the program here, I just want to submit for the public record that I am incredibly bummed out that this doesn't seem to be happening this year. All right, so let's start at the beginning. And I mean the very beginning. And I mean way back before this rivalry was even a thing. So Notre Dame's tradition has had long had a military-type presence on campus. So, for instance, in 1858, when the school was less than two decades old, the students formed the Continental Cadets, outfitted in Revolutionary War-style uniforms, and they would do drills and march across campus. So as has been covered extensively by this show, including a three-part miniseries in late 2019 and early 2020, 
Notre Dame and the American Civil War were inextricably connected, with perhaps the greatest example of this being Father William Corby, a two-time president of the college and also the chaplain of the famed Irish Brigade of the Union Army. So moving into the 20th century, just before the breakout of World War I, a Notre Dame student could actually receive college credit for enrolling in military drill instruction, but soon it actually became a required part of the curriculum. So when World War I broke out in 1917, more than 2,200 Notre Dame students and alumni served in the global conflict between 1917 and 1918. And of this number, 56 were unfortunately killed. So speaking of World War I, this is going to feel incredibly shoehorned in here, but whether you have been to campus or not, you may be familiar with the God Country Notre Dame door of the Basilica. That was actually dedicated to commemorate the Notre Dame men who lost their lives during World War I. There's two tablets on the door to commemorate each of the names, the 56 names. Now, just to further ground that event, the commemoration of that famous door, into the subject matter of a previous episode, the World War I Memorial Door was dedicated on May 30th, 1924. So this was, of course, less than two weeks after the Notre Dame students went head-to-head with the KKK in the streets of South Bend. I personally thought that was really cool. (laughs) Anyway, so given the similar campus culture of Navy and Notre Dame, and the fact that Navy had a great football team in 1926, winning the national championship with a 9-0-1 record, Irish head coach Knut Rockne, perhaps the greatest football coach in college football history, booked his boys to play the midshipmen in Baltimore on October 15th, 1927. So again, just to underscore the point, Navy would be the defending national champions at this time. So that first contest was attended by over 45,000 people. The Irish scored a 19-6 victory, and it marked the first time the schools would meet in the storied rivalry, at least from a continual basis. So at this time, Notre Dame and Navy was not a big rivalry. In fact, for Notre Dame, their biggest rival was the other service academy, or one of the other service academies, an army. But, however, the 1927 Notre Dame football season review wrote that, quote, this was Notre Dame's first game with the Naval Academy. And Irish supporters are confident that the same cordial relations that have existed between Army and Notre Dame will exist with the other branch of the service, end quote. So the yearly battle between the schools continued in the first 15 contests, stretching across the coaching tenures of Knut Rockne, Hunk Anderson, an All-American player for the Irish and close friend of the late George Gipp, Elmer Layden, who was one of the famed four horsemen, and Frank Leahy, the former Boston College coach who had taken over the program in 1941. The Irish sported a 12-3 record in those first 15 contests against the midshipmen. So the admiration between the schools continued to develop. In fact, prior to the 1940 contest, Notre Dame President Father J. Hugh O'Donnell was asked about the significance of the game against Navy. He replied, quote, In many respects, the two schools are similar both in objectives and in the daily lives of students. As a result, there has developed through the years an esteem for the Naval Academy, which places this game high on our list of intersectional gridiron contests. Clean sportsmanship has always characterized both students of Army and Navy, and we are honored 
that two of our best rivalries are with these splendid institutions. No matter what the outcome of this weekend's game, it will serve to forge another link in a splendid relationship." End quote. So just one month after the Irish and Midshipmen's 1941 game, the United States shifted dramatically after the naval base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii was attacked by the Japanese Navy and Air Force. So the United States was formally drawn into World War II, which had been raging in Europe and Asia for most of the past two years. So if the 2,200 Notre Dame students and alumni who fought in World War I seemed like a lot, which it was without a doubt, that would soon pale in comparison to the impact that World War II would have on the campus. The Notre Dame students, in keeping step with the ethos and order of the campus mantra, God, country, Notre Dame, left campus in droves to enlist in the service of the United States military. And it was during this time that many private schools shut down due to dwindling student populations, many of which never reopened. So Notre Dame soon found itself in incredibly dire financial straits. The student population dwindled as more than two-thirds of the students would eventually enlist. Now, since Notre Dame was, and still is to this day, a private school, most of the operating costs are paid for by those private schools, which would differ from, say, like an Indiana University in this sense, which is funded by the state. So since Notre Dame was a private school, the decline in student body without the benefit of state funding hit the school incredibly hard. So the school, which numbered over 3,000 students in November of 1941, was down to less than 1,000 within a month one month of the Pearl Harbor attacks. Simply put, one can say that the school was perilously close to extinction, shutting the doors forever. And honestly, words cannot express just how close this was to reality. No hyperbole attached. So for a bit of higher education insight, which is the industry which I actually work in, all colleges and universities, large, small, public or private, uh, have what is called an endowment, which, for simplicity, is kind of like a savings account for a college or university. So some of the funds in an endowment are restricted for very specific purposes. Others are unrestricted. But an endowment is typically built chiefly through alumni donations, as well as investments made by the school using those, uh, those alumni donations. So some schools may even think of their endowment as something of a financial runway to safeguard them from closing. Anyway, you may have a sense of what, where this is going, but in 1942, Notre Dame's endowment was $3 million, which was among the smallest in the country for a school their size. So, <laughs> it's hard to say this without laughing, but... Just for some present-day context, and as I mentioned, some of you may laugh out loud here, Notre Dame's endowment in 2019 was actually the seventh highest in the country. So just for some additional context, there's about 4,000 colleges and universities across the United States, and Notre Dame's endowment in 2019 was the seventh highest. 
at nearly 11.3 billion. Yes, billion with a B, dollars. So, however, in 1943, this was not the case. As mentioned, school officials feared the university would shudder for good. But the midshipmen intervened to help their Irish brethren, who, after losing two-thirds of their student body to enlistment, paired with a couple very small incoming freshman classes, naturally, were gasping for air. In April of 1943, it was announced that the Navy intended to use Notre Dame, the university, as a host site for a V-7 and V-12 Navy college training program. Effectively, the sites were designed to train and supplement the force of commissioned officers to the Navy during the war. So when we use terms like commissioned officers, think of like lieutenants, second lieutenants, captains and majors and colonels. So not quite generals, but non-commissioned officers would count your corporals and your various sergeants. Though, yes, I know the, the Navy ranks are a little bit different than the Army or the Marines or any other branch. But I figure for simplicity, I'll just push those ranks forward for the purposes of the show. So how about this? The contract that Navy signed with Notre Dame insured the school a half a million dollars on the front end. And the Navy would take care of all the administrative expenses for the university. And perhaps most importantly, the deal supplied the school with students, the lifeblood of a college or university, even more so than money. So for a school down to just several hundred students in the months before, 12,000 officers were trained on campus during World War II. So talk about a massive life raft thrown to Notre Dame from Navy, pun intended. In recalling the Navy's decision to make Notre Dame a host site for one of their midshipmen schools, former university president, the late and wonderfully great Father Ted Hesburgh, said in 2004 that, quote, All I can say is, without the Navy during the war, this institution would have gotten down to just a few hundred students. Instead of that, we were almost twice our normal size during the war. And we were able to contribute something to the Navy, end quote. Hesburgh was also quoted saying rather blatantly that, quote, We had a couple years with no income and a lot of expenses. If it wasn't for the Navy, we would have closed within a year, end quote. Can you imagine just how the course of college football history would have been altered if this event hadn't happened? It boggles the mind, honestly. So one of the Notre Dame football greats who went through that very midshipman school was star quarterback Angelo the Springfield Rifle Bertelli. It was, of course, Bertelli who, in 1943, became Notre Dame's first Heisman Trophy winner. He would join the Marine Corps, which, of course, falls administratively under the Department of the Navy, and he would see action at Iwo Jima. Now, if anyone is interested in learning about this, I would be remiss not to mention that the literal first episode of the show in show history is about Bertelli and called the Heisman at Iwo Jima. Bertelli's coaches, head coach Frank Leahy 
and assistant coach Edward Moose Krause joined the Navy as well from 1944-1945. Or I suppose COVID-19 chooses otherwise. And play they did every single year. Through 1962, Notre Dame boasted a 27-8-1 record in the rivalry. And at times, the institutions were so connected that the game was literally a family affair. So... In 1963, the midshipmen waxed the Irish, 35 to 14. Now, the 1963 season was a low point for Catholics everywhere because, of course, you had the Fighting Irish football team who were mired in one of the worst seasons in program history, finishing 2-7. and And in November of 1963, the first and still only Catholic president in United States history, John F. Kennedy, whom we discussed in a previous episode, I can't recommend that one enough either, was unfortunately killed by assassin's bullets. Anyways, the midshipmen were captained by a gentleman named Tom Lynch of Lima, Ohio, who played both linebacker and center. Tough guy, that Tom Lynch, but anyways, his younger brother Jim was also a linebacker and was part of the Notre Dame football program. Now, if Jim Lynch rings a bell, probably rightfully so. Jim would ultimately win the Maxwell Award in 1966, which is reserved for the College Football Player of the Year. He was on the 1966 National Championship Irish team, and he would go on to have a long, productive career with the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL. So also of note, it was Roger Staubach, who would become a superstar for the Dallas Cowboys, who was quarterbacking Navy for that 1963 matchup. So later, when the Lynch brothers were talking about the rivalry, Tom, who later became the superintendent of the Naval Academy, said that, quote, it was the thrill of a lifetime to play Notre Dame at South Bend and then to beat them on top of it. The only thing that compared to it is the Army-Navy game itself, end quote. Jim said in the same 1991 interview with the Baltimore Sun that, quote, Tom was a senior at Navy and the football captain, and Dad was proud of that. He was probably the only Irish Catholic in the history of the Midwest to be disappointed his son was going to Notre Dame, end quote, he later said jokingly. So what Tom and Jim couldn't have known was that Tom's team of middies would be the last team to beat Notre Dame for 43 years. Now, we'll get to that game, but in the meantime, there were a couple, more than a couple, really, close calls. So, for instance, in 1984, when Notre Dame won 18-17, when John Carney's field goal with 14 seconds left erased a 17-7 Notre Dame deficit. But, however, it wasn't without drama as the officials 
failed to notice that the play clock had expired before the ball was snapped for the game-winning field goal. Oh, man, that would stick in my crawl. Okay, so let's fast forward to 1997 when Notre Dame won 21-17. So Notre Dame defensive back Alan Rossum saved the day and the game for the Irish, knocking Navy receiver Pat McGrew out of bounds at the one-yard line on a Hail Mary, a 69-yard pass as time ran out. One yard. Oh, can you imagine coming up with a Hail Mary, 70 yards, and getting 69 of them and oh, being so close. Anyway, so that was 1997. Just two years after that, in 1999, Notre Dame won 28-24. So Notre Dame needed a first down on fourth and nine with a minute 37 left. They failed to convert, but an errant spot allowed the Irish to keep possession and eventually score to escape with a 28-24 win. So yes, two of these games, 1984 and 1999, Notre Dame's victories can be wholly attributed to the human error of the referees. All right, so here we go. Keep going. In 2002, Notre Dame won 30-23. So Notre Dame coming off a 14-7 upset loss to Boston College scored 15 unanswered points late in the fourth quarter to win the game. And this is when, of course, first-year head coach Tyrone Willingham was at the helm. So that was 2002. The very next year, 2003, Notre Dame won 27-24. And that was because kicker, Irish kicker, DJ Fitzpatrick, uh, rang true on a 40-yard field goal as time expired to lift the Fighting Irish over the middies. So as a bit of a chronological interlude here, in 2005, the schools formed a new tradition, one that if you watch the Notre Dame-Navy game, you are keenly aware of. But it's during this tradition that each team stands at attention during the playing of the other's alma mater after the game, an ultimate sign of respect. So, finally, after 43 Notre Dame victories in a row, dating back to the Lynch brothers, of course, on November 3rd, 2007, the Middies defeated the Fighting Irish in a triple overtime thriller by a score of 46-44. to 44. Now, that 2007 season is probably one that many Notre Dame fans would like to forget, with the team finishing 3-9 under third-year head coach Charlie Weiss. So this was also the season where the program established a record five consecutive home losses. And again, this was unheard of because at this point, Notre Dame has one of the best home field advantages in the country. And you know, I'm sorry, and I hate to be mean-spirited here, but I really don't like to mince words, but I try to avoid Charlie Weiss like the plague on this show. Perhaps some of you have noticed, but yeah, so 29 episodes in and we haven't done a Charlie Weiss or a Charlie Weiss centric episode. And I guess there's a good reason for that. But either way, 2007, after four plus decades, the Naval Academy was finally off the schneid, so to speak, with the victory. 
And since 2008, it has been a much more competitive rivalry, comparatively speaking anyway, mostly because Navy's football program has vastly improved, notching a program record of 145-87 and 87 with five bowl wins over that same stretch. So over those past 12 seasons, the Fighting Irish are 9-3 and three against their Navy compatriots, including a convincing 52-20 to 20 win in 2019. A game which, as you may recall, featured five Ian Book touchdown passes, four of which went to wide receiver Chase Claypool. I'd also be remiss not to mention that one of my favorite Irish players of the last few seasons, safety Aloe Gilman, was actually a transfer from the Naval Academy, so chalk up another one. So again, while some people view Navy as a throwaway game on the schedule, please always keep in mind that one of the main building blocks for college is tradition and rivalry. Which suffice to say, Notre Dame and Navy is one of the longest standing examples of this. Unlike the lowbrow comments and belligerency of some college football rivals, I will not specify which ones I am talking about, as you could probably make a few educated guesses. Let's celebrate this rivalry as one built on respect, dignity, and class. Notre Dame. Navy. And that was more than a rivalry. Notre Dame and Navy. We will be right back for show wrap-up. Hey, if you made it this far in the program, you're awesome. But I really hope you enjoyed that. It was a ton of fun to research and write. Felt pretty exhaustive, but hopefully very informative. And I hope you learned some new things. I know I certainly did. So as a reminder that this episode was a listener's choice episode and was selected over a Centennial George Gipp celebration episode to honor the Irish Icon's 1920 season. So as of writing this, 71% of the votes went to the Notre Dame-Navy rivalry. Rest assured, I will be doing something for George Gipp by year's end, so do not fret, particularly as I was looking through some of the people who voted for George Gipp, and there were some, some pretty heavy hitters in the Onward to Victory community. So for you all, don't fret. Something is coming your way, and if you know me, you know I love George Gipp, and oh, it's coming. Don't you worry. So if you dig the show, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, just click the purple icon. You can also find the show on Spotify, CastBox, or Podbean. And the show's formal URL is at Podbean at onwardtovictory.podbean.com. So please, please, please like, subscribe, do whatever you have to do to make sure you're getting alerted to all the new episodes. So please interact with the show on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onward to victory. This is kind of show headquarters. This is where a lot of the interaction as well as show updates and announcements, new episode stuff, all the episode placards are kind of funneled through the Facebook page. So we have tons of new members on Facebook. So welcome to all of you. 
The advertising budget was recently subsidized by some generous donations from our consensus All-Americans, so able to more broadly advertise the podcast. And so we do have some new followers on the Facebook page. So again, welcome and thank you. So please feel free, anyone, to make your voice heard on the platform of Facebook by way of the Facebook Messenger. If you send the show a message, I'll read it. I'll read it over the air. Or if you're more of an email person, you can send the show an email at onward to victory podcast at gmail.com. All right, so if you would like to name yourself to the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American list and join loyal sons Brad, Michael, Adam, and Colton and become a loyal son or daughter, so to speak, yourself, you can do so very simply. A $15 donation to the show will sponsor episodes and get your name called out as a consensus All-American over the air. You will also receive the latest show swag, which is currently some canned koozies and the world-famous Father William Corby coasters. So trying to take care of those beverages for you this fall. Uh, But if you're so compelled, again, please know that I am eternally grateful. And honestly, that is the only reason I can tell you that the show has continued to survive and I might even be so bold as to say thrive after, oh, what is it now, about 14 months on the air being a completely independent podcast. So if you would like to donate at paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation, or you can donate a certain set amount per month, please visit patreon.com slash Onward to Victory podcast. And I hope you know that any support is greatly appreciated and 100% goes back into the show. As always, thank you to Joseph Rakish who allows the song to use his song, Knut Rockney, as the theme song. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. So if you're new, and you're like, man, what is that song? I need to find it. Where do I find it? That theme song that was playing when the show started. What is it? Yeah, Joseph Rakish called Knut Rockney. So give it a spin. Go put it on your playlist, your pregame playlist. It's on my grass cutting playlist. It's on pretty much all my playlists. I love it. So this is episode 29. And keeping with show tradition, let's sign the episode, An Irish Player Who Wore Number 29. So, admittedly, I had a bit of a difficult time finding number 29s, and no one immediately came to mind, but I was able to find a couple. But if you can think of someone that I didn't mention, please let me know, and I will add it as an addendum to a future episode. But the ones I was able to come up with included John Covington, who was a safety in the early 90s with five career collegiate interceptions. He was drafted in the fifth round of the 1994 NFL Draft by the Indianapolis Colts, where he spent the 1994 season. And who could forget Stan Smigala, who was a fellow defensive back, though he played a bit earlier than Covington, from 1987 to 1989. So he was a member of the 1988 National Championship team, playing in 11 games that year with an interception return for six points against USC. So like Covington, he was also drafted in the fifth round, and he enjoyed a three-year NFL career with both the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So number 29 was also worn by wide receiver Kevin Stefferson, who wore the number in 2016 and 2017. And the speedster showed tons of promise 
scoring 10 touchdowns in just two seasons and averaging nearly 19 yards per catch. Unfortunately, his Irish career was derailed by a bevy of disciplinary issues, and I think he resurfaced in Jacksonville State, if memory recalls, so uh, uh, lower-level Division I school. So hope, wish him nothing but the best. Wish he would have been able to stick it out. But anyway, so when thinking of episode 29, number 29, let's give this one to Stan Smigala. So episode 29 will henceforth be dubbed the Stan Smigala episode. And I think that'll about wrap me up here. So sincerely, everybody, thank you so much for your time today. I hope you enjoyed that. It was a blast to put together, as I mentioned. I hope everybody is staying safe, staying healthy, and staying well, and staying in good spirits. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be talking about more Irish football contemporary, current Irish football here very soon. As I mentioned, I am putting together a season preview episode However, before I before it gets unleashed to the public, I would really like to be sure that the well that the season's going to absolutely happen. Uh, I take each one of these episodes very seriously. Each episode is very diligently put together, meticulously researched, and so I would hate to have an episode that is released even though as well-intentioned as a season preview episode, and it really go for naught. So hang with me here for just maybe one more one more episode before this season preview is, is uh, released. But again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate all of you. And that'll about wrap. So this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, go Irish.